So find a mentor all the way through. Get as much education as you can. Be eager for lifelong learning. People make fun of me all the time because I do every certification once a year that I can, and I have a bunch of certifications. I just do it because I'm like, I, I don't want to get old in the classroom. I don't want to lose touch. I want to know what's going on in digital marketing. I want to know what's going on in sustainability. The world changes way too fast for you to just sit there and say, okay, I have my two-year degree and I, I finished my goal and that's all I'm going to do. That, that doesn't work. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Peter Ricci, the director of the FAU Hospitality Program with us on the show today. Welcome, Peter. Thanks for being with us. Hey, it's great to be here. I have fun because I was going to ask you if my cat could pass by and I just saw yours pass by. So this is awesome. Even better. It's so yeah. fun. You know, uh, for the listeners out there who can't yes, see, I have a cat that I rescued 10 years ago. And never wants to hang out with me unless I'm doing a podcast. I, exactly mine. I rescued her. She's a one-eyed cat. I've had her uh, 13 years. And as soon as I start talking on the phone or on here, she'll come around. Otherwise, you know, is it only when I'm asleep? That's too funny. <laughs> I love it. So nice to see you, my friend, yeah. and I'm glad a fellow animal lover. Yeah, same here. So I'm excited to have you here because... You know, there's so much I want to talk to you about. But first, before we get into it, we always ask, first question, how did you get started in this beautiful industry of ours of hospitality? It's so funny. I, um, I've been answering this question a lot the past three years more than ever before. But I started as a dishwasher when I was uh, 14 years old here in South Florida in Margate. I was at uh, Coconut Creek High School where I went and they made an announcement and my dad was giving me a hard time with my allowance. So I said, screw that. I'm going to go get a job. So I started as a dishwasher. And I, it's funny. I think I started October, November, and I got promoted after I worked the shift for New Year's Eve at like four in the morning when I was doing the dishes. The manager, I'll never forget her. Her name was Lucy. She came and pulled me aside and said, you're getting promoted to busser because you've been doing such a great job. And um, to, that was like, it just sparked something in me that I like this business and I've, I've never left it. It's so funny. What was the name of the place that you were working? 
It was called the Chesapeake. It was a seafood restaurant. Um, it was nice, very high end, two levels. I had an upstairs bar that overlooked the floor. You know, it was the early 80s, so excess was everything. It had an amazing bar, um, seafood buffet. You know, I learned there how to eat oysters and uh, and crab legs and open the crab legs properly and do all the etiquette. I mean, it, it instilled so many things that you would never think of all these years later. I, um, I was dishwasher, then busser. When I was 16, I went on a trip to with high school to Spain. And when I come, came back, the owner had sold the restaurant. Like we didn't know. We were all in the dark and he sold it and it closed during the three weeks I was away. So all of the staff went to work for another guy named John Carlone, who at that time was like the big time restaurateur in, in Broward County. He owned uh, La Dome on Las Olas, which was like the place to go. He owned the Rain Tree, Carlone's. He owned like six or seven upscale restaurants. And it was funny because he was just opening Carlone's. So we all went as a group, one to the next. Oh, man. Yeah, so I stayed there all the way through high school. And so at 14, work until four in the morning. I figured some labor laws were broken that day. It's uh, funny. They, family of employment law lawyers. <laughs> it's funny. As long as it was a weekend night, they would keep us. And as long as my parents were okay with it, then I had good grades. So my dad would always say high school first. And I remember when I went to work at the next job, um, I had to show my social security card. And he said, wow, you're 16. We don't usually hire 16-year-olds. And I said, proudly, but I've been working for two years. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's so a big chunk of your that. life then. Yeah, think about that now. It's very different. But I, I, I know a lot of hotels that hire teenagers still mm -hmm. and restaurants. Um, the Breakers did a very good job recruiting from high schools in Palm Beach County. And if they can work the hours they're permitted and all, it, it just builds such great work ethic skills that I didn't know at the time I was being taught, but it, it really helped me with work-life balance, which is the big rage now, and with uh, balancing school, because I went to school and worked full-time later pretty much my entire life, and I credit that on the skills I got out of that high school experience without realizing. And believe me, I still had fun. You know, I wasn't going to give up fun because I was a teenager and a young 20s guy going to the University of Florida, but I wasn't going to give up fun, but I I learned how to balance it. No, and it's funny. That's where I started. I started on the pool deck at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel as a senior in high school. So, you know, that's a great that's place awesome. for everyone to start. You know, oh, I yeah. encourage anyone to do it. So now you hit University of Florida you're talking about. So you've had an interesting journey. You know, your background is a mix of teaching and being in the operations. Can you kind of give me, you know, the kind of the quick rundown? You were in college sure. and how did that take off? Well, it's funny. Um, John Carlone didn't want me to go to college. He he wanted to promote me to be his front of house manager and to stay and go to Broward, Broward Community College, which is now Broward College. But I got a scholarship to UF and um, I grew up in a in kind of a low end middle class. Oh, uh, my dad was on government aid, so we're almost on welfare. So to me, the only answer I had was to be a lawyer. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. So when I got into UF with all my friends from my high school class, I just figured I'd go because it was a much better university. So right. I went and I wanted to do law school, but hospitality seeped all the way through undergrad. Like my first job in Gainesville, of course, was food service because that's what I did all through high school. 
And the um, the managed service company that ran University of Florida was Aramark. So once the guy knew that I had fine dining experience, I mean, I worked in high-end restaurants where we had a captain, a front of house waiter, back of house waiter, busser. I mean, it was super high-end. So he put me in the president's house at the university for all their events. Wow. And Yeah. And then I worked at the Stephen C. O'Connell Center with the entertainers. So I was the liaison between Aramark and the stars that were performing. So it was the 80s. So I got to see Cindy Lauper and Sting and all, all of those top people from then. I was their person doing their fruit delivery, their cheese, making sure they're, 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 you know, wherever we were housing them, whether it was a trailer or behind stage, I was that liaison and I did events at the president's house. So I just, were all, were all your friends asking you for tickets to try and get to these shows? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then I would be outdoor, the outdoor music festivals. I remember we had um, oh, so many of the great eighties bands and it was just like awesome because I did all the beverage service. So I would go to the different kiosks, but I was there for all the concerts. It was fun. Oh, but awesome. again, I'm in school thinking I'm going to be a lawyer. And I um, I changed majors from business to, I think I was Spanish for a week. And then I wound up settling on sociology because I really liked my sociology professor. And then, you know, I took intro to hospitality. Well, uh, they I think they called it intro to tourism there. And it was the easiest A I ever got. It just came so natural to me. And the lady who taught it uh, worked for an airline in Gainesville that no longer flies Eastern Airlines. And she's like, you're a natural for hospitality. She's like, one of my friends needs a part-time person to work at their travel agency. And I said, oh, I could use a second job because I just you know, liked it. So I did that. I did food service. I got through school. I got into law school. And I went for, I want to say, half of a semester and absolutely hated it. Absolutely hated it. And I should have known because my senior year in Gainesville, I got tuition aid. Now, remember, I came from kind of a poor family, so I was always on financial aid and work. And my tuition aid that year was reading to a blind law student. And he was actually about 58 or 60 when he started law school. And we, I would read the cases to him. I hated it. He hated it. And then we'd go out and he'd take me to the dog track in Jacksonville for a breather. <laughs> so I should have known I was going to hate um, law school. But, it, you know, when you're 21, nothing, you don't listen to anybody, you right. know? You don't so, listen to anybody. It's funny because I had the same experience and I'll tell you mine. So I, my dad's an attorney and now my brother and my wife are, but I was <laughs> studying to go to law school and it hit me. I was like, I hate this. It's not what I want to do. And I'm lucky my dad was very supportive. What was your family like when, when you told well, them? Well, you know, my, my, my parents had never gone beyond like middle school. So to them, just having me in college was great, but they, um, they were like, hmm, okay. You know, the, the biggest thing was I got a scholarship to law school. And along the way, the funniest part is that I work with a guy now at FAU. He teaches for me the law classes. And in the 80s, I wish I had a copy of the book home. I have it at school. There was a book called Flying High and Travel, A Complete Guide to Travel Careers. And I still have it. It's one wow. of the only things I save. I don't save anything. But in that book, there were a couple of pages on being a travel industry attorney. And I said, okay, now I've found my calling because I love hospitality. I love the intra class. I love the, the travel agency experience. 
I'm going to be a travel lawyer. So in the book, there were three attorneys and I reached out to all three. One I never heard from. One wrote me a letter back and said, make an appointment, whatever. And at this time, of course, there's no email, whatever. So the other one emailed me back and said, give me a call anytime, collect. I'm like, okay. So I did. We had a nice chat. We hit it off. And he said, you know something? You really have a personality of uh, operations. Um, he's like, I practice in Florida. I'd like to meet you. I'll be there such and such. And we got together. And after that, he was like, man, nah, I don't see you as an attorney. I see you more in operations. Now, as a 21-year-old who just got a scholarship to law school, I was like, yeah, take a walk, buddy. Right. And I didn't listen to him. So now all these years later, he still rubs it into me that, you know, and I keep saying, I'm going to go to law school at some point. I'm going to go to law school at some point. I did reapply and got accepted five different times over my lifetime and never went back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yes, yeah, so I always say like I'm a closet lawyer, but you know, it's, it's the work of the lawyer that I don't think I would like, but doing something in the industry, it's, I love it. I just love it. So needless to say, I call my parents. I'm leaving law school. I'm moving back to Gainesville because I had a friend I could stay with for free. And I immediately went to the department where they taught that tourism class and found out they had a master's degree. And so because I knew I wanted to keep going, I wasn't ready, didn't know what I wanted to do. I just enrolled in their master's degree at UF. And it was a master of science in recreational studies. So try telling your dad that you've gone from a law degree to a master of science in recreational studies. He's you like, know, what, are you going to be a PE teacher, Peter? Yeah, you know, what are you going to work at the beach and set up chairs? And I'm like... Just let it go. I'll, I'll figure it out. Yep. So that was their closest thing to tourism. And I, I have to say, like, without thinking about it again, it probably was why I approached the industry so broadly, because we had classes in tourism. We had classes in sustainability way before it was popular in um, recreation and using recreation as a part of tourism, retail, shopping, beach life. And then we also had general tourism stuff, marketing, sales, whatever. So I came out with a very broad education, which I like, but it also was not really good for me later on as a hotel GM because I didn't have a business degree. So I tell students today, do a liberal arts bachelor's and an MBA or do a bachelor's in business and an MBA or do a bachelor's in business and then explore your liberal arts love if you want to do communications or whatever. Because I'll tell you, the first real job I had in hospitality later was as a director of sales. Well, I was a membership salesperson at the convention bureau for four years. But my first job that I walked into as a director of sales in a hotel and they asked me to review the star report, I didn't know what the star report was and I didn't know how to review it. And they gave me a budget and I didn't know how to read the budget because I didn't have a business background. So I'm very good at learning on the fly and then excelling at it. But I tell people today, go to school for it. And if college is not your thing, then just take the two Excel classes that you need. Take the one finance class that you need. Take the stuff you're going to need so that you don't look like I did like a you know, I don't, of course, I didn't have my face on. My face was my poker face, but yes. there was no Google then. We, we couldn't just Google what is Star Report, you know? No, it's tough. I tell people that coming out now, like, 
If you don't know it, know it, especially early. Try to ask as many questions as you can, especially the financials and reading the P&L and understanding a budget because that's the whole business in the end. Yeah. But, but so you you decide not to go to law school. Then you get your degree. Yeah. I get, yeah. What's the Sorry, first job out of school? I'm, no, I'm bringing you back, Peter. I'm here. I'm here with you. So. I'm, just, I'm just rambling. So, you know, like in college, uh, in graduate school, I was a trip director on the side and I worked at Marriott. Those were my two grad school jobs. So they were different from food service. They were different from the travel agency. So when I graduated, I had two offers. One was to go work for an incentive company that did cruises only. And the other one was to go work at Marriott as a um, executive meetings manager, which is their entry level meetings position. When I read the um, offer letter from Marriott and it required 50 hours minimum, I immediately went to the other job. That's, and, and it's funny, here we are 30 years later and the kids don't want to do that today. And I didn't want to do it then. So when we talk about work-life balance, it's not a unique thing. None of us wanted it. So I went to work for the incentive company. I think I lived at sea about six months and I did meetings and incentives on the ships. Um, I'm friends with the owners now, but I didn't like them then because I was a stubborn 23 year old. So I took a job that was more flexible and I didn't have to travel at the uh, Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau. And I did uh, membership sales for two years. I ran a kiosk for visitor services for a year. Then I managed visitor services overall for a year. And my whole time at the CVB, people would say, wow, you're lucky. You came right to a bureau and you never worked in a hotel. You never suffered through our long hours, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I worked in restaurants my whole high school. But yeah. I took it as a challenge. And I got an offer as a director of sales at a hotel back in Gainesville. And mm -hmm. I took it. And uh, that's the one I walked into a little naive, but I was a DOS for nine or 12 months. And then I was a GM for 10 years. And I wow. was, a yeah, I was a regional GM. Um, I had about three or four hotels at any one time. So when people say, oh, you're an academic, I'm like, no, I worked all the way through my 40s in the business from 14. So I still think of myself as an industry guy. And one of the things I do now to not become an academic, no offense, my FAU family, but I don't want to just look at research. I want to go out into the world, hear what people are doing, and then kind of have them solve problems through applied research. I think that's the way to do it. I, okay. but I have, you know, looking back, I loved my hotel chunk of life. My job became opening new properties and fixing broken ones. So I moved probably 15 times within the 15 years. Oh, and wow. I so which company was that for that you were working with? I worked for a combination of management companies. I worked for a small management company in the beginning called Forbes Hamilton. I worked a very short time for Coakley and Williams. And then I worked for Intercontinental Hotels Group. Um, prior to IHG, there was a company around called Bristol Hotels, which owned all of the, actually didn't own, it managed all of the corporate home Holiday Inn and Crown and IHG products. So I went to work for Bristol and then IHG bought all their corporate owned properties back. So I was a combination of Bristol and then IHG. And um, I liked all of them a lot when I was... Um, with Coakley, we had some choice products. When I was with Forbes, I had a Crown Plaza, I had a Best Western, I had a Radisson, I had a Holiday Inn, and we had a Wyndham. 
And then um, after I did my doctorate, I left the hotel business to do my doctorate. After I did my doctorate while I was teaching, I was eligible to get tenure, but I didn't feel like I was ready to go into academia full time. So I went back to hotels for a few years, and that was with Prism Hospitality. And for them, I had a Hilton, a Ramada, a Holiday Inn, and something else. I forget. But I loved management companies because um, I, I'm OCD, so I immediately wanted to learn all the brand standards of all the brands that I managed which of course any GM should do well, but it constantly kept me on my toes because Hilton, we use salt scores and Ramada was part of choice. And people don't realize that choice has excellent GM training, but on the outside choice is perceived as a economy, mid-scale, lower mid-scale brand, but they had some of the best training I've experienced. And then Holiday Inn, for if I ask one of my students now about a Holiday Inn, they do the dance from the yes. 80s. It's so old school. But Holiday Inn is such a legacy, still huge brand. And IHG, my, my crowns, they were absolutely beautiful. And then I spent a little bit of time at the Intercontinentals um, when I would do Task Force. So IHG had every level of building. And now, of course, they have Indigo and Candlewood and a bunch of other products that we didn't have then. But I just, you know, I love the management company focus for a career path because you'll you'll play in multiple brands. And, and I say that because I have friends who have been at Marriott for 30 years, they've been at Hyatt for 30 years. And it's it's not that it's good or bad, it's just different. Yes. Yeah, um, for my personality, I constantly wanted to change. You know, now the bad part is I lived on property for 15 years. And so my stuff was in storage all that time and I was constantly moving. So with a family, I could have never done that route because I'd open a new hotel, put in the pain and anguish and labor, see the fruit. It would win an award. As soon as it was open three or four months and doing perfectly, I'd get pulled to the next project. Oh, man. And that was the, the thing. So I just had to, I rode that wave as long as I could because after a while it's tiring, but it was a blast. So I'm just curious, not many people get to experience so many different hotels, right? And you get to see it from all levels. Some people just stick in luxury, others stay kind of in the economy class. You were in all of them. What did you enjoy doing best? My best, um, my best environment for me is casual. I'm not a formal guy. And so I really liked my Radisson, uh, Sarasota Beach, I like the Holiday Inn at Bush Gardens, which is no longer there, but it was a huge property of about 500 rooms, plus a Fridays and a Pizza Hut and meeting space and 12 or 14 shuttle vans. So to me, the, the interaction with leisure travelers, I really liked better, which my GM friends will laugh because they're the most intense, difficult market segment that usually pays the lowest rate. But yep. for some reason, I just clicked with them. In Orlando, I managed a Disney Good Neighbor Hotel. So we had to maintain Disney standards. And if Disney was full, we would immediately fill. So we were full all the time at that point because they had probably a third of the properties they have now on, on Disney premise. And then my Crown Plaza in Orlando was probably one of my favorites because it was very, very upscale. And yet it's still catered to a leisure traveler. Now, having said that, we did a lot of group and conference as well. My favorite market segment is, of course, corporate. 
because as a GM and as a former DOS for that little bit of time, I could call you and say, hey, Steve-O, you're bringing your IBM group, your Office Depot group. You need 50 lunches, isn't it? Boom, 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 done. Sign the contract. Here's your Amex. We're done. With the um, leisure groups, I'd have 20 people planning the 85th birthday for grandma. Nobody wanted to sign the contract. Nobody took the, you know, the agreement. Nobody read what the clause is. You know, one of my events at Aradison, I'll never forget it. They guaranteed 180 and 310 people showed up for the family reunion. So we we told them we do not have the food. We will yes. empty our freezers, cook whatever we have, but we're not responsible for it. You know, so I've, you know, again, passionate, crazy guy from my teenage years. I thrive on chaos. So I like a little bit of the chaos, you know. It's addicting. I, yeah, it's addicting. It's it that- is addicting. It's that hotel addiction of the craziness that happens last it minute is. every day. You know, luxury suit and tie, not me. I agree with you. I, I'm in the mix. I like resorts, beach resorts. That's my my niche. I'm very good at that. I can do it in my sleep and know what people are going to do that day. And I love it, uh, all parts of it. But let's figure out it for you. You're now transitioning into academia. How did that happen? Where you leave operations, you're like, all right, I'm done with this. I want to focus on teaching. Was there a moment that kind of triggered it? Well, it's funny because people ask me all the time they want to get into teaching, and but they don't really know what it is full time. For me, it started very young when I was 23 at the Convention of Visitors Bureau. Um, our president at that time, uh, George Kirkland, or what, no, it was Merritt Steerheim. It was my second president. He got a call from Nova University, which is now Nova Southeastern. And they were creating a hospitality program and they wanted to have a course in destination marketing. So he reached out to Merritt Steerheim and said, who on your team has a master's degree that can teach a course? And at that time, I was the only person with a master's. You go in any business now, you'll find a bunch of them. But I had a master's. So I went to meet a guy named Don Dermody, who was starting the program at Nova. And I was 23. So I walk in, he's like, oh, I don't think George understood me. I don't think Merritt understood me. I I need somebody to teach, not to take the class. And I said, no, I'd love to take it. I said, but I probably could also help you teach it. And then we laid it out and I I became the teacher. It was hysterical because his program was designed originally for South Florida hotel managers who had never finished their bachelor's degrees. So my entire class was made up of GMs and I was 23 and they were all GMs. But from from that class of like 18 people, I still have lifelong friends and we learned together because I was a kid, but I had the academic credential to teach that they didn't have, but they had the industry experience. So we, we became super friendly and I was working at the CVB. So I had the DMO knowledge that they they wanted to learn about. And we did a tour at the DMO. We made the class very experiential, interactive. So I loved that class. And Don asked me to teach again. And then FIU called and asked me to teach. And then Miami-Dade asked me to teach. So when I got my hotel job, which pulled me out of Miami-Dade County into Gainesville, I asked UF if I could teach a class on the side. And they said, oh my God, you're credentialed. Yes, we always need part-time teachers. And the hardest thing is finding someone who has the master's degree with 18 credit hours in hospitality and tourism. That's what you need to teach. And from then on, it just happened. In Tampa, I taught, you know, 
over there in, in Tallahassee at FSU, wherever I was living for the hotel for my nine months, I would teach a class on the side. So my tradition to academia full-time wasn't as really shocking because I had been teaching all the time. What really finally made it happen is when I was living in Orlando, I had sent a letter to Harris Rosen about, you know, his philanthropic style and how great I thought he was. And about six months later, I got a call from the dean at UCF and the associate dean. They wanted to go to lunch. And I went to lunch and they kind of convinced me to apply for a lodging professor job. And if I got it, I'd have to go to school at the same time and complete my doctorate. And that's what I did. So I wound up teaching lodging and being heavily involved in the Orlando lodging business, you know, Central Florida Hotel Association on the board and and recruiting, because it's really all goes together. Like when I was a GM, I could pick from my classes the people I wanted to hire. I'd say, hey, Steve, you're here all the time. You have a great attitude. Are you looking for a part-time job? Yeah, what do you got? A front desk, boom. So my hotels were always, um, I'm not kind of a braggy guy, but my hotels were always award-winning. And we always kicked ass in the star report because I'm super competitive. Mm -hmm. So, but that was by design. I'd meet the young people that I knew could lead me to the best places. So I had entry level covered. And then I had some great leaders all throughout the hotel. So everywhere I went was winning, whether it was, you know, and then it got to the point where IHG liked to put me in the red, we're going to lose our contract hotels just to make me dance and see what I could do. But I, ha I have to bring up this funny story because I'm interviewing Chris Nassetta this week from Hilton. And my favorite Hilton story is uh, we had a Hilton in here in South Florida in Deerfield Beach. And when I took it over, it was in the toilet. So in terms of guest satisfaction scores. So they were frustrated. The owner was frustrated. They had just done a renovation. The money didn't seem to be working. So I asked the management company if I could do something different on this project. And what I did is I put through everybody through two hours a day of guest service training that I taught every, every staff member, they had to go through it every week. It was super cumbersome for me because I was doing like 20 hours a week of training in addition to trying to run the hotel. And then an amazing thing happened. We, we won the Southwest airlines crew business during that period. And we were super far from the Fort Lauderdale Hotel, uh, airport because we're in Deerfield. We're like 30 minutes away and there's a right. bunch of product in between. But we won it because my DOS and I were super passionate and we promised them. And I had won the Southwest cruise in other cities. So they knew my leadership. So we won it. And the Southwest crew people started commenting how great the hotel was in the business center. They would complete the satisfaction scores. And Hilton calls it SALT, satisfaction and loyalty tracking. I don't know if they still do, but that's what they did then. So I'm there for nine months, six months. I get asked to go now to Mobile, Alabama, to the next project. I drive to Mobile, which is like, I don't know, 15 hours. I'm pulling in and I'm getting gas before I even step foot into the hotel. And I get a call from the front office manager saying, Hilton is here. Um, they think we violated the system by filling out surveys our, ourselves. Uh, what happened? What did you do? And I'm like, what do you mean? What did I do? I busted my ass training people. I said, put anybody you want on the phone. Well, I'll call you back. Well, what happened was the Southwest crew was using the business center 
which had these very specific links to those computers, the IP addresses. So Hilton thought that our front desk team was going in there every day and suddenly fudging the system. And it was great for me because they wound up with huge egg on their face. They had never seen a hotel move up that quickly in the things. We were like 200 or 180th and we moved up to 30th or something. It was something miraculous. So I just laugh about that still. And I'm like, you know, yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, because you hear bad stuff all the time. And I'm like, no, no, no. I knew it was because of what we were doing. I just didn't know that crew members would take the time to write it. But crew members usually dislike their properties. So they were so happy with this when they actually took the time to write comic cards. I just thought it was funny. Well, it's awesome to show that you took the time to train, which a lot of places are not doing right now, right? And no. you see it. They don't have the hours or or the will to make it happen. And it's so important. I, I, I felt the difference when I was getting trained as a young guy coming up and going through trainings. And you don't ever want to sit there, but I learned so much looking back. And to have your I GM try. doing it with you is crazy, yeah. right? That's awesome. I try, I try, try, try to tell the owners, invest in it first. You'll see the rewards later, but it's all culture. I mean, I wanted someone who could do anything on the spot. They had never been led they just got yelled at or they got termed, you know, or they hated their jobs. And I'm like, you need buy-in. You need to say why you want the phone answered in three rings, not just answer the phone in three rings. Why is this good for business? How does this work? And they let me do that for six months, you know, and um, a comp most companies would just, you know, poo-poo. Even, even the great luxury brands, the Intercons, the Ritz-Carlton's, the Mandarins, the Four Seasons, Everybody has cut their training and staffing budgets after 9-11. And I'm afraid that with the pandemic, we're going to have another round of trimming, trimming, trimming. You yep. know? And it's all maybe going digital, which is not the same to me. But we can talk about that in a little bit more. So I want to get to where you are now, right? So you've transitioned. Now you're the head of the FAU hospitality program. And you really came on my radar really as soon as the pandemic hit, right? So I was a heavy user of LinkedIn. I just liked helping people. I was on it. I remember it clear. March 22nd, I was sent home and I had three months sent home in 2020. And I was at the, the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. And you know, I started getting on LinkedIn more and putting out words of encouragement to people just if I was talking to my own team. And then all of a sudden you started coming up on my radar all the time and putting out content and really being a leader uh, can you talk about what you were doing at that time, just for the listeners who may not know? Sure. I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, <laughs> what I was what I was doing was I saw the writing on the wall that we were shutting down and I was flipping out because, again, I act like a hotel GM. I'm like, what are all of these people going to do when they're suddenly not working 50 hour weeks in the midst of chaos? They're going to go home and they're going to go bananas. So I went to my dean with a crazy idea. I mean, we have always had a face-to-face -face hospitality certificate at FAU. We've always had it for, I've been here, I guess, 15 years. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, we've had it probably 12, 13 years. But it couldn't reach people at home. So I went to him and said, hey, would you mind or would you agree if I convert this to online? We'll shrink it. We'll make it a mini version. And we'll give it out free just to keep people engaged during the pandemic, um, which we didn't know was a pandemic then. And we all thought we were coming back to work in 60 days. I said, yep. this will get this will get them through the 60 days. 
Well, it turned into this phenomenon. Like I just could have never imagined. I still can't imagine it because I get emails still every day and it's two and a half years, three years later. It's just amazing. Give us the stats of how many signed up. Yeah, we just filled the void. And um, I got it because I'm a hospitality guy inside and out since a kid. And I know that when you're home, the first couple of days will be delightful. You don't have to get up early. Oh, my God, I'm with the kids. And then you're going to go bananas. If you're type A, and I'll say it again, bananas, because we want to be in the midst doing something. And it doesn't matter if you're an accountant in the back of the house, if you're a revenue manager, or if you're in sales with a client. There's something unique about hospitality that drives you on the ever-changing business. You know, flights are in the air. Anything can happen with schedules. Hotels can get overbooked. You know, fleets of cars can go out. We're used to thriving on chaos. And so I just said, let's try this. Well, it just turned into this major phenomenon. I want to say the first round, we had somewhere close to 76, 77,000 people register, of which I was delighted that over 65,000 like fully completed it. And I was ecstatic because we had almost 170 countries. So people still email me now. I got I got a nice email this week. Hey, I'm in Nepal. You know, our industry's bouncing back. And then I got one the next day from a guy in Guyana. Um, their oil industry's booming. So there's a new Marriott opening. And he wanted people to come through the next certificate. And it just, it just keeps going in different ways, you know? It's amazing to see. Because I remember when I think you had put out a... A post about it. I was like, man, you have a stadium full of people <laughs> taking this program now. And times they, they probably would never have taken it. I remember people even at the Lowe's and in my other hotels I worked at at Mandarin. And they all told me like, wow, we, we took this. And I was a little jealous because I was taking another program. I won't mention that school at the same time. Right. And I'm about to come back and take it. But what did you, you know, learn from it? What did you see? Because during that time, it was so stressful. You know, now uh, things were two years later. Right now we're just about two years later, March, 2022. Yeah. Right. What did you see and learn from that time to now from the people that you've been working with on it? It kind of, um, for me personally, it reinforced my love of hospitality because I now have that additional 10,000 friends that I didn't have before. And it was like opening new hotels in multiple countries this time. So it, it helped solidify that even from the time I was an undergrad, starting in this business, well, even high school till now, 40 years later, it's still based on people. And it's still based on caring for guests. And we still thrive on chaos. And that most people in our industry often don't have the time or money to pursue higher education of any kind, whether it's a certificate, whether it's a full degree, a master's, whatever. And it made me so proud to offer these people all over the world. We had CEOs, we had brand new dishwashers, we had had every range in between. And they just got some learning out of it. And I asked everybody to pay it forward. And we raised so much in donations of like even $1 per person that we have a brand new one starting next month. We extended it back to the full length of content. My disappointment was I couldn't build it fast enough to get a full 30 or 40 hours of content because I know a lot of people use continuing education units for their credentials. 
So I decided when we do it again, we're going to do the full content. We used to charge 500 bucks for it. We got so many donations, we're charging 200 bucks. And then we have $50 scholarships from like 50,000 people. So for $149, you cannot get anything like this out in the world. And to me, that's an accomplishment of sorts. I, I can't explain it any other way. As a kid who grew up pretty much at the lowest end of, highest end of working class, lowest end of middle class, getting government aid. The only way I could go to college was with grants and scholarships and funds and loans. And so I just wanted to help people have that feeling, you know, and I still do. I mean, I work at a state university. We are probably the cheapest tuition almost in the country. And so I've, I've turned my love of hosting a guest in my house to working with younger guests that hopefully I can spark to come into the business. It's just yeah. kind of a difference, you know? And I, I see you doing it. And I see you being a voice now more to the owners and the leaders of hotels. And, you know, I was, I, this is what I was most curious about, right? So someone like me, I wanted to be a GM. I wrote that goal down every day in a goal book. And then the pandemic hit, I saw things change. And in my eyes, there was a lot of little things that kind of changed my mind into getting to that goal. And I don't know if I want to get back there, right? So now I'm having fun being creative and doing this podcast and helping several brands. And I think there's a lot of people that their eyes kind of turned away from hospitality. How do you suggest owners, companies look to fix that to get the top talent? It's almost like people to just to live in droves. You know, we, we were always known as an industry for long hours and lower pay, but it's kind of a misnomer because once you get out of the entry level ranks, you can make good pay or great pay and you can have work-life balance, but that message never gets out there. What people remember are like me, I worked in high school as a busser. You know, I, you ask a college student who's majoring in a business degree, would you want to work in a restaurant? Hell no. I did that in high school. It's perception. We really need to work on perception. Another thing I realized lately is that there's so many options today from online, work at home, remote, do your own thing, drive Uber half of the week, work at a call center half of the week, that if we're not flexible, we're just going to lose people. So on my radar right now, and it's funny to be talking to you today because I dreamt about it last night and I dreamt about it Saturday night, which means I can't get it out of my head. I'm thinking of, of trying to form a one or two day conference called the Young Hospitality Leaders Summit, where they tell the industry what they like and dislike, and we have dialogue. Because I got invited to present at a group, and it's the same kind of young person's group in Europe, primarily Italy. And they're the young hospitality, I, I can't translate it from Italian well, but it's the same kind of idea. And they are like, we like hospitality. We want to work in it, but we want to meet in the middle. So let's make it happen. You know, it's funny. Um, I really have probably under 2% of the world's population that interact with me telling me to shut up. But there are a couple that say, stop telling people to ask for more money. Stop this. And I'm, I flip it and say, We've had millions of comments beyond beyond the initial pandemic course. We've had another 10 or 20,000 go through it again around the world. So each of those makes two or three comments. You've got 
four or five million comments. The comments were very clear. The industry needs to change. It's changed almost immediately with entry-level pay because it had to. It wouldn't get anybody to work unless it raised pay. So we've already raised pay, which was one of the big decades-long issues. Now the industry has to learn how to absorb that pay. And I don't think it should or could be absorbed all with technology, but a part of it will. And the other part of it is owners are going to have to be more reasonable on their profit expectations and workers are going to have to give a little bit too. They're going to have to understand, you know, uh, one, there was a big feeling of betrayal by people during the pandemic. And I'm like, I flipped it and said, but what would you do if you owned a restaurant? It's closed. What would you do if you owned the hotel? It's closed. So we need to meet in the middle. It can't be, you know, 100%, we're going to give you a, a raise and work-life balance and childcare and everything too, and you're not going to step up to the plate too, but there is a middle ground. So I want I, I want to have a series of, of mini conferences over the next decade to try and push the industry toward the middle. Most brand leaders in the hotels, many of the airline leaders, everybody's talking about it, but they don't really know which way to go with it. And what makes me chuckle out loud is how vocal and vehement the industry was about fighting the $15 minimum wage increase. And now I haven't posted a job under $15, maybe three to 5% of the jobs I post in the past year. That just instantly disappeared. Yep. And so why did we fight it so long? The pandemic was an awakening for people. And so... The one good outcome so far, we all know how to use technology. We increased entry level wages. And, you know, I tell my students every day, hospitality is still fun. Go into it for the fun and the enjoyment of people. If you experiment with it and you're not happy right away, get out, get out. But don't don't give me the hype that we're long hours and low pay because I think that's BS once you get to a decent level. And that was before the pandemic. So I think there's definitely options now to make things better. I love to hear that perspective there. And now, you know, going back, if you could talk to young Peter at the Chesapeake, starting his first day washing dishes as a 14-year-old, what advice would you give him about coming up if he was starting today? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Find a mentor. You know, I had a mentor named Lucy and I'm 56 and I still can see her in my mind at 14. So she must have done something right. She's the one who promoted me to bus her. Um, And she guided me on people skills. On You know, you could have handled that a little different. I'm not mad at you, but let's try this. And, you know, so find a mentor all the way through. Get as much education as you can. Be eager for lifelong learning. People make fun of me all the time because I do every certification once a year that I can, and I have a bunch of certifications. I just do it because I'm like, I I don't want to get old in the classroom. I don't want to lose touch. I want to know what's going on in digital marketing. I want to know what's going on in sustainability. The world changes way too fast for you to just sit there and say, okay, I have my two-year degree and I I finished my goal and that's all I'm going to do. That doesn't work. It's lifelong learning. It's constant. And that's why I push things like the certificate, which are so cheap and people walk away from like, wow, I need to do something else now. You, you, you need, you know, a mentor, 
an open mind for lifelong learning and take the time to find what is your best spot on the bus where you sit. Like I liked my hotel seat for a long time. Now I like my education seat. I'm itchy though. After the pandemic, it's it sparked in me the desire to go back to industry mm-hmm. and help some major company fix things based on this new world. Because I've had the comment after comment after comment. I feel like I'm a little off on the sideline versus in the trenches. And I don't know what that means, but that's just honestly how I feel. So um, a mentor, lifelong learning, and find your right spot. You know, like students ask me all the time, what would you do now if you were 18 coming into business? I said, I'd try casinos. I'd probably try a cruise line. Um, I might want to go work for one of the major theme parks. Well, it's all hospitality. I said, yeah, I didn't say I was changing that. I just said I would change my seat within the bus. bus, So I don't know. It's interesting. Mentor, definitely. Everybody uses that as kind of cliche, but you need somebody there to pull you aside, to brighten you up on a, on a bad day, to give you advice where you don't take it as, you know, to, to where you just get annoyed. You have to take it and learn from it. And someone you, you, you want to emulate that you see working to their maximum and that you admire and that's philanthropic and that cares about the world. I mean, um, that's, that's a good thing about today's industry. We're much more focused outwardly on environment, sustainability, on uh, making the world a better place. Uh, I grew up in the 80s. Greed is good. And so I'm, I'm glad we kind of moved away from that. And unfortunately, that's what's going to take some further negotiation with ownership when it comes to money. You have to give a little on profits to get to where the employees are telling us they want to get to. I love um, it. I think that's a, a great place to kind of wrap our our talk here. I love the points you gave, especially about the mentor on this podcast, the hospitality mentor, right? So how can people connect with you, Peter, if they want to connect with you? What's the best place to find you? You know, find me on LinkedIn, Peter Ricci, R-I-C-C-I. Email me at FAU anytime. The easiest email, hospitality at FAU.edu. Hospitality at FAU.edu. But yeah, reach out, connect. I mean, every week I'm connecting with people, learning different voices, I don't pretend to know anything, you know. I grew up a poor kid, started as a dishwasher. But if there's one thing I do know is that this industry is a lot of fun and it's a great place to be. So if you feel if you feel it, then chat with me and I'll give you some of my own personal advice, you know. And I forgot about the mentor thing, but that's ironic because that (laughs) came out organically. That's kind of funny. No, I love it. And it's true. So, guys, if you're listening make sure connect with Peter. He is great industry leader, his thoughts, his actions. He's, he's making things happen out there for everybody. Make sure to connect with him. Um, he's very active on, on LinkedIn. So Peter, I appreciate you being on the show, taking the time to be with me. I know how busy you are. I wish you all the best and, and thanks again. Thank you, Steve. Take care. Thanks everyone.
This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.